You're you all ready? Yes. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, are you all ready? Water baptism is very powerful. It's extremely powerful. God didn't institute anything. Jesus didn't institute anything just for mere symbolism. That's why even communion is not just symbolism. It's not just physical elements uh, just as a reminder. It's imbued with spiritual power and spiritual truth. Water baptism is not just a picture of your salvation. It's not just a visual. It's not just a ceremony. There's great power in water baptism. Because Jesus didn't institute anything even just as a visual thing. Or just as a reminder thing. There's a real power in it. That's why in Mark he says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever doesn't believe remains in his condemnation. And then it doesn't matter. If you don't believe, it doesn't matter how many times you dunked it. It won't work. But if you believe and are baptized, you shall be saved. So water baptism is incredibly powerful. I like what John Crowder said in his book, The New Mystics. We haven't yet begun to realize the power of water baptism. He says there's nothing more than heaven rending and earth shaking than water baptism if it's understood correctly. And so it's against that backdrop that I wanted to share this morning's message with you. Is that okay? And so in Romans chapter 6 and from verse 1, and this is the King James translation, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The previous verses to this is that Paul says where there is sin, the grace of God superabounded. It abounded much more. So I believe in grace. But the Apostle Paul then is answering a question where people said, well, if my sin causes God's grace to abound, well, then I should go on sinning so I can get more grace. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. That's not, not the way that it works. And then he begins to explain here in Romans chapter 6. He said, God forbid, how shall we then that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So right there is the first clue to water baptism. If you believe and are baptized, you died to your old life. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Listen to this. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Woo! I mean, that's a good place to just pause and go like, yowza, amen. That's powerful. You can't water that statement down. You can't make it less. Because Paul says, if you were planted into the likeness of his death, you are also planted into the likeness of his resurrection. Look at the person next to you and say, you've got resurrection power, life at work inside of you. You've been planted into that. Amen? So if we've been united with him in death, and we've been united with him in his life, there should be a result. Because he says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So what happened when you died 
and you were buried in baptism, he said the old body, your old life, it was destroyed. Is that okay? And when you were baptized, the priest stood by the baptismal water and he went, no, 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 no. rest in peace, old man. Because your old nature was destroyed and buried. There's a power in water baptism. That's why Paul teaches what he's teaching and he's imploring. He's requesting in a sense. In another sense, he's demanding faith in the word of God regarding water baptism. Did you understand what I'm saying? And so... Anyway, let's carry on. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Listen to this, verse 10. This is the verse that I want to jump off of, and I just want to share some things with you. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. In that he died once, he died to sin. Everybody say once. You don't have to keep dying to sin. You died. I'm going to say that again. You don't have to keep dying to sin. You died in that he lives, he lives for God. Amen. Prophet Kerbis preached very much about the cross being the dividing line. Your BC days, <laughs> your AD days. Is that right? Cross is very much a dividing line. Before you accepted Jesus, you lived in the world. You lived a life in the world. But that world was within a kingdom. And that was variously called the kingdom of the devil, kingdom of darkness. When you got saved, you're born again. You still live in the same world. But this time, you're in a different kingdom. You're in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of light. whole difference between that and that. But this world is still the same world you live in. It didn't change. Your address didn't change or, or whatever. You still live in the same place, same people, same everything. But yet that world radically changed for you when you became born again. Because he says, though you are in the world, you're not of the world. Now, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So there's a whole lot, of, whole lot of differences. The difference between that world and the world you live in now is radically different on one hand, but another, it's exactly the same. You still have the same minutes and hours in a day as you had then. But in this world, you're told to redeem the time because the times are evil. In this world, he says, make the most of every opportunity. And so, so there's, a lot that we can go, there's a lot that we can go into, and I'm, I'm forcing myself to just stay on the subject. Is that okay? But you've got, you've got a life. You, in that world, you went to work. 
in that world, there are principles. You're in a family. There's principles that govern a family. And that's all the same. You come into this kingdom, it's all the same. It's all the same. So a lot of things change, but a lot of things don't change. So a couple of things that I wanted to just point out with you this morning, and it's very simple, but I really felt constrained the whole week that I need to share this with us as by way of reminder. Not that I'm not saying that you're not doing it, but like Peter said, I need to do this to remind you. Is that okay? So that's one of the things of teaching. It's not something new, but to remind you of something that you already know. So I want to reinforce it. So how is it that Paul says that Christ now, after his death, the life he lives, he lives for God, okay? Living for God. Now, this message, I don't want to overplay it, but at the same time, I don't want to underplay it. Living for God. Sometimes you can be under great pressure. Sometimes you can be under, under guilt on a message like this concerning living for God. Because there is a sentiment sometime that unless you're doing my job, if you're in your job, you can't live for God the way I live for God. There's a perception that there's a difference. You know, if I was in full-time ministry, then I could live for God. But God doesn't call everybody to be in full-time ministry because we'd all be standing up the front and there'd be nobody in the chairs. There'd be so many chiefs, there'd be no Indians. (laughs) There'd be so many cooks and the broth would spoil. So God calls some to be apostles, prophet, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But we all called to live for God. Surprisingly or not, it's very easy to backslide in the ministry. It's very easy. Because that book that you don't get much time to treasure and to read, same amount of time that I get to read it, can become a work manual for me. Just like your computer manual for your computer can be for you. You understand what I'm saying? So really, the playing field is level. But living for God, I just want to give you five things. And I want to make it practical because Paul shows us, and there's many verses in the Bible, that after your baptism, there should be a difference in your life. Let me say that again. That post your salvation and your water baptism, people should see a difference in your life. People should see you living differently. People should see the difference. They shouldn't look at you and think, well, you're the same as the rest of us, except you just got wet in church the other Sunday. You got a bath (laughs) at church. They should look at you and say, there's something different about your life. And Paul says, it's living for God. Is it okay? Because there is the power to live for God. There is the grace to live for God. Because the life you lived, you died to sin. Now the life you live, you live for God. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that secular and Christian researchers have done research on Christians and non-Christians. And they have discovered that there is no difference statistically in the way Christians live to the way the world lives. I will say it again. They've done research. They say the divorce rate is the same amongst believers as in the world. They see no difference. They say Christians steal. No difference. There should be 
mark difference. Now, this is not supposed to be a heavy bash up message. And then uh, just in case, you know, you're guilty, we baptize you all again. Okay, so if the, I, checked, I checked, there's about seven people being baptized. If it suddenly becomes 20, I know. Okay. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the cutoff point will be after seven. The ushers will be waiting for the rest of you. All right. Have you got a confession to make? They, they, I promise you, and it's, it's devastating. It's sad. It's sad. It's sad in our own country. You hear people claim to be Christians. One day, one day I'm going to stop somebody who drives right through a stop street or a robot and say, if this is what you do in public, what do you do in private? If you have no integrity with the rules of the road, what integrity do you have at work? I have. I have done it. If you prepared to endanger everybody else's life on the road and those of the occupants of your car, what does it say for the rest of your life? It means there's no rules. There's no law. So it's not meant to be a heavy bash you up message, but it's going that way. I can feel it. But how do we live for God? Number one, living for God. You live your life conscious of God. Number one, living for God. And, and it's really simple. And you're going to be thinking, Pastor John, you went on a week's holiday, and this is the best you can come up with. Number one, being conscious of God. Is there a God consciousness? And if there is a God consciousness, because you listen to TV, you watch here in South Africa, Hollywood, across the world, there's a God consciousness. But it's some other kind of God. You know, it's, he's a being. He's a force. There's no morality associated with that being. You can believe in God. But listen, everything that we believe, we have to come back to the Word, and there has to be a truth associated to it. Can I tell you why a lot of people will say, I believe in God, but not in Jesus? Can I give you the answer for that? Because the moment you believe in Jesus, it puts a responsibility on you. And there is a demand that comes to you. Just because if you believe in Jesus, you believe what He did on the cross and everything He said. It requires an appropriate response. And that's why they will use his name in vain, but not Allah's name in vain or Muhammad's name in vain. They will not use the name of Hare Krishna in vain. You don't hear people work, work, hitting his finger and going, oh, Hare Krishna. Yeah. Oh, tush, Muhammad Ali. Just in case. Just in case, you know, whichever one. <laughs> you don't see him fall off his motorbike and stand up and stamp his foot and go, oh, Buddha. But they use the name of Jesus because consciousness of God will require a response, a moral response. Consciousness of God is not only consciousness of His presence. It's a consciousness of His demands, of His righteous demands, just by Him being who He is. You know that He's called, oh, it's too long to go into it, but you know he's called Jehovah Shammah. He's called uh, um, Ima- Jesus coming. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. You know, there's so many verses that talk about the fact, you know, Psalm 139, Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 31. So many verses, Second Chronicles 6, where he talks about, you know, the eyes of the Lord range to and fro across the whole of to show himself strong 
towards those who are committed to him. But in other words, you know, God presents himself. Jesus comes along and he said, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Always. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And to develop that consciousness of a God that is transcendent yet imminent. He's out there, but he's also here. He's as close to me as the very breath in my mouth. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. What is our consciousness of God? Do we wake up in the morning instead of, you know, oh, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> instead of saying, oh, it's morning. Good morning, Lord. You know, what is our consciousness? What is our consciousness? Living for God will require and will necessitate, will need the fact that there's a consciousness of Him that is with me. He's with me. You know, without getting into a lot of condemnation. But listen, if you're tempted to pick up that hundred rand note, there's a God who watches. If you're tempted to, you know, go in late and bunk off early from work, and there's a God who's with you. Is everybody with me? This is easy. I know this is an easy message. I know. This is so simple. You could have stayed at home and watched it on live stream. They've got a special room in heaven for live stream audiences. Yes. I don't know if you ever saw it. Saw that uh, cartoon. I quite liked it. You know, all these Christians rock up at, you know, the pearly gates, and there's the Apostle Peter standing at the gates. And he goes, oh, oh, you, you, um, the live stream rumors out there. The rest of you can come in. You can watch. Never mind. Thank you for the live stream audience. But you understand what I'm saying? There's a consciousness of God. How conscious are we of Him? consciousness living for God if you read the life of Jesus you will see he was constantly conscious of God you know God's opinion mattered well some Christians live you would think that you know God doesn't feature in their lives how much does he feature how much does he feature now is there a God consciousness number two there's living a holy life this word here has become really Outdated and old-fashioned. Really. Really, it's an old-fashioned word. I mean, you live in the world more than I live in the world. You have to do with people that I don't have to do. The nice thing is I only have to put up with you guys. So you can see how fun my job is. Because I deal with you people. But you deal with those people. And there is no more morals anymore. There's no morality. You know, it's kind of like we're kind of like in the days of Noah when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Where it relented God when he said the thoughts and the intents of man and people is only evil all the time. It's incredible now these days that if you stop at a stop street, you're doing something wrong. Now that is, that is symptomatic of the whole of society. If you say, I've been married 40 years, they go, gosh, what's wrong with you? If you say, you know, I'm keeping myself pure for marriage, they go like, no, no, now there's something definitely wrong with you. I mean, even in the church, without blushing, Christians move in together and start shacking up before they get married. They don't even blush. They still come to church and they want to be in ministry. Thank you, kingdom. Thank you, kingdom. Thank you. Should we carry on? <laughs> Living for God. It's old-fashioned. It's old-fashioned. And one of the things about living for God, we're going to have to get back to pursuing 
old-fashioned values. Unashamedly, not making excuse for it, living it from the inside, from our heart, living for God rightly. Listen, righteousness is becoming a commodity that the world does not know anymore. I said to Nkosi, I said, you're in the right job doing the right thing. Because even a wicked man wants an honest treasurer. Isn't it incredible the world will pick and choose? And then they want an honest financial man, but then they'll come to him and they'll say to him, but Christian, Christian businessman, and say, but can't you crook the books and let's pay less tax? And he goes, I don't do that. You employed me because I'm honest. Because if I start crooking the tax, I might crook you. Pursuing old-fashioned values, living for God. Listen, it's going to become tougher because now they're saying something like 68 genders. You know, 68 genders, male and female, he created them. And the world is so clever, they go, oh, we've defined up to 68 genders. So what are you today? What are you right now? I don't know. We're going to have to celebrate masculinity and celebrate femininity. Let our men be men and our women be women. Is that okay? And now it's unpopular to say, this is wrong, that's wrong, homosexuality is sin, murder is sin, that's sin, the next thing is sin. Because then the next thing you know, you're in front of the constitutional court. Living for God requires us to live holy. Old-fashioned values. Hello, Uncle John. Hello, Auntie Bev. Polite children. Old-fashioned values, like old-fashioned values of humility. You know, not getting ahead and stepping on and leaving behind a trail of bodies to get ahead. Because it's my right. I demand. You know, what kind of mentality is that? Where is the serving to get to the top? Where is the Christian values? Come on, church. Once we baptize, there should be such a difference. They should see us. We're living for God. I don't live for the world. I don't live for this world system. I came out of that world. I came out of darkness. And I came into the light, so there should be a difference. Amen? You can't believe it, but in this country, everybody say this country, South Africa, do you know there was a stage, there was a time when the miners, the gold miners, would go out and do their gold diggings, and they'd come to the bank with their bag of gold, and the banker was out for lunch. They'd leave a note, this is John Wasserman's gold, and they would hang it on the door handle of the bank, and when he came back from lunch, it would still be there. And he'd go, oh, this is John Wasserman's. And then he would write it up and depart. wouldn't even enter their minds, people's minds to steal. This country. What happened to the morality slide? It'll happen like that again. What happened to the morality slide? Come on, it starts with us. If you pick up someone's wallet, do you first take the money out, then hand it in? I mean... I mean, what about those verses? What about those verses in the Bible where the prophets talked about the scroll with the curses on and it went into the homes of everyone that stole? It, same, same God. Oh, no, but it's not grace. Yeah, but there is a thing called truth. Come on, so there should be a difference. Isn't that right? Everybody say a difference. So come on, we live conscious of God. And then we live holy for God. Is that okay? We live holy for God. Old-fashioned values. Old-fashioned, polite, you know? Catch a train in England, 
And an old lady walks in and you stand up and offer it to everybody who thinks there's something wrong with you. You know how bad it is. As a grandfather, you can't walk around with your grandchild because people might think that you've stolen the child to molest. I mean, what, what's happened? But there should be another group of people who have been born again and baptized, who come out and they're new creatures in Christ. And the people look at them and say, these people are different. Not different. They're different. Amen? I mean, there's so many weird different Christians. They're different. I don't even want them in this church. Is everybody following me? Okay, so it should be a difference. Isn't that right? So this is getting a tough word. So let's, let's not, let's, I've done enough there. Has anyone got that one? There's millions of verses that you can have a look at. But how many of you know that Hebrews 13, it says, without holiness, no one shall see God. There are those verses. Same Grace Bible. Without holiness. See, all of this happened over here. All of this transpired here from here to there so that we can be like this effortlessly. Living this life with His life in us. Come on, give me an amen. amen. <laughs> the third one is to live lovingly. Isn't it amazing? All of these are outstanding features of Christians. But loving is the one thing that is very difficult to counterfeit. You know, if somebody just spends enough time with you, they'll know whether you're loving or not. Just be with you a little bit longer than a few minutes and see... It is how you speak and how you act. And, and, uh, and, you know. so, so the whole love life, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. You know, it's how we serve. It's how we minister to one another, how we are towards one another. Is that okay? But there's a life of love that results and demonstrates us living for God. And so it's a life of love. We live a life of love. That love implies no judgment. That love implies forgiveness. That love implies mercy and grace towards people. That life of love implies serving people. Is that okay? Is it too much to serve? Is it too much? Are we too high and mighty to serve? To do something for someone? I mean, surely if this change has taken place and and something has transpired in us, and greater is he that is in you than that one that's in the world. Surely it should issue from the inside. This power from the inside. In the middle of the night, I was meditating. God doesn't have the Ten Commandments in front of him and gets up every day and has to have a look at the Ten Commandments and live out of them. He's a God of, he lives out of love. God is love. So he lives out of his nature, and that's what... That's what the expectation is for us. Isn't that right? It's an amazing, you know, I'm sold out for Jesus and oh, I love God. And Hey, brother, I'm in trouble. Can you just, my car's broken down. Can you come and help me? Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's not convenient right now. I'll get back to you. I'll fast and pray 40 days. Yeah, but you'll be safe on the highway. Tell it costs. Come on, church. Living for God is a life of love. Isn't it amazing? And there's a lot that we can say. I'm just doing the pause just so that, you know, God can speak other things and say other things. And, but it's to live a life of love. 
I, for me, I love serving people. I really do, honestly. But one of the things that I love to do is to come to the church early and make coffee on a Sunday especially and on a Wednesday for the band because I believe that it's one way to keep me rooted in servanthood. Because there's too many high and mighties. Jesus said, I've come to serve, not be served, and to give my life as a ransom for many. Core value is servanthood. I remember many, many years ago, I went to go and visit Ray McCauley. He was the only big preacher who would agree to see me a pastor of a little church. And I went in and he gave me half an hour. He said, ask any questions. And I sat behind him at Ramah, sat behind the desk, and he said, fire away. I said, one of the questions, I said, give me an idea of your day. How do you schedule your day? Because with the ministry of thousands and thousands of people, how do you schedule your day? Because I've got those days a lot less people, and it's already hard work. You know, how do you schedule your day? One of the things that he said to me, and at lunchtime, he said, lunchtime, I go out into the streets and I witness to the lost every single day. And I said, why do you do that? He said, God spoke to me. And he said, you are to do that every single day, lunchtime, because I have to keep you rooted in servitude. Loving. Living, loving. Living, loving. Loving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Number four. The fourth one is to live purposefully. Living your life purposefully. Purposefully. We're talking about living for God, church. Is that okay? So you live your life purposefully. Purposefully. You live your life purposefully. When you were in this life, you lived by instinct. You had no spiritual life. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. But when you're in this world, this life, this kingdom, you are alive to God and you're alive spiritually. And something that transpired over there needs something over here called investment or maintenance. Is that all right? I don't know if you've ever noticed, you know, these, all these Christianese sayings, you know, and one of them, which is a pretty good one, and it's, it says, seven prayerless days makes one week, but W-E-A-K, okay? Not one week, W-E-A-K. Did you get that? Okay. It's a good time in the servant to, servant to laugh. Amen. But seven prayerless days make one, makes one week. And there is a, a spiritual life. I've, I don't know if you've ever noticed that the more in the Word, the more in worship, the more in church, the more you invest in your spiritual life, there's a power that starts to kick in. It's like the law of aerodynamics, you know, with that massive big plane. When it goes thundering down the runway and you're going like, it's not going to make it, it's not going to make it. Because you saw everybody get on board and you saw all the overhead lockers are stuffed full and it starts pulling off. You've got the law of thrust going, but you're thinking, oh Jesus, let the aerodynamics, because you know the runway is running out. But then the, a different law kicks into place. The law of aerodynamics, the wind rushing over the top of the wing and under the wing, you know, that causes the lift and then suddenly Tons and tons of people and baggage and plane lifts into the air. 
And suddenly the same gravitational forces or the, the same uh, friction forces and kinetic energy is not working like it was. It's not earthbound. But there is a life in the spirit that releases you and takes you higher. But it takes living purposefully. Living with purpose. Come on, church. Living for God implies. Now, we still have the same time, that world to this world. But in this world, we need to live more purposefully because now we're living for God. There you didn't have to live without any purpose, but you were living for Satan. Now we live purposefully in this life, so we're living for God. Is that okay? And so when I live purposefully, one of the things that I, I need to do in living for God, I need to give Him of my time. I need to give Him of my time. There's a spiritual life to maintain. I phoned one of the young couples in the church, and uh, we've been praying and consulting together and things like this, and he's been going to someone in the church for mentorship, and suddenly his business is taking off. And that his business is taking off. I didn't see him in church for four weeks. And he spoke to me. He said, this came up, this came up, this came up. And I said, listen, you know, it's one thing to gain the world, but to lose your soul. What would be the point of God so blessing you that we never see you again in church? What would be the point? Can I have it? Those parables are in the Bible. Your spiritual life has great value. That's why he says physical exercise profits little. But you know, but holiness in your spiritual life puts you in excellent standing for eternity. And there's a, a spiritual fitness. You have a spiritual life to maintain in all the time constraints, all the family demands, every other thing that is calling for your attention in your 24-hour day. And, and so I live purposefully. So I need to invest. Living for God means I need to invest in this thing that He put inside me for free. In this, it means I need to spend time in the Word. It means I need to pray. It means I need to be in church. An old-fashioned value that we need to strive to maintain. There is verses like Hebrews chapter 10 where it tells us, do not forsake the gathering together of them as some are in the habit of doing. There are those verses. Church. It was a spontaneous thing I took last Sunday off. And I phoned someone in the church and I said, listen, I'm not going to be there Sunday, but I want you to just start praying with me for the service on Sunday. And then his response immediately was, we will be there. We will report for duty. Can I tell you what my greatest fear is? That people find out I'm not going to be in church because they won't come to church. Seriously. Seriously. I don't want anyone to know that I'm not going to be there Sunday. Because then people won't be, oh, Pastor John's not going to be there. Oh, I'm going to off. <laughs> Living for God. Living for God. I can't say in the church, woohoo, the finances are up. The finances are doing really well. Because next month people go like, oh, great, the church is doing good. I can use my tithes for myself this month. What? What? Look at the person next to you and say, I hope that's not you. Living purposefully. Come on. After baptism should be a difference. Oh my word, the third thing I'm afraid of is when I preach messages like this, people get offended. 
I thought he was a grace preacher. Wasn't much grace this morning. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But living purposefully. How is your spiritual discipline? Do we pray? Do you ever fast? Do you seek God? Do you? You know, we're living purposefully. I'm talking. Come on, church. I'm talking after this. There should be this. Difference in our lives. I shared with someone a while ago. I didn't see them in church for a while. I phoned. They said, oh, you know, but you know. Then this family member had this thing, birthday party for this near of Nikhi, Sunday morning. And then the next week, some family pitched up. And then the next week, and then the next week, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Nobody visits me on a Sunday morning. Oh, but you the pastor. Yeah, but even when I was in church, before I was a pastor, some people would pitch up at my house Sunday morning. It only happened twice. Sunday morning, I'd go, oh, I'm getting ready to go to church. You want to come with? No, no, no. This time, God's time. I was talking to a a man of God recently, and uh, we were exchanging phone numbers, and he said, I'm not available before 9.30 in the morning. Now, it's not because that's the time he wakes up. He's praying. Come on, church. These are things that if we live for God, needs to be in place in our lives. Am I preaching the truth? Number five. Our time. Our treasures. Your tithes, your offerings. I personally cannot, I find it very difficult to relate to Christians who still struggle with tithes and offerings. I find it very difficult. Because like water baptism, this is in your ABCs. Settle it. Just settle it. Just do it. Just settle it. Just do it. If you can't get the ABCs right, you're not going to get the XYZs right. You don't find a great revivalist, great healer, great man or a great woman of God, and they're going, um, I wonder if I should be baptized now. I think God's blessing me so much, I better tithe. It's very quiet now. It's very quiet. Our time, our treasures, living purposefully, living intentionally. Last one. And I'm glad for those who are being baptized this morning because that's all part of moving from there to there. Living with intentionality, living intentionally. How many of you know that um, when He changes your life, there is a, it's a great privilege. But there's immediately, with every privilege in the Bible, there's a, a shift of responsibility that comes to you. That's why He says... Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In other words, everything that we have received, we ought to become givers of. We need to become dispensers of. That's why when Jesus called the disciples, he said, freely you have received. Therefore, now go out into that world you came out of and freely give. 
Peter understood it when he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. Is that okay? So you can't be a closet Christian. You can't be a secret agent believer. You need to be extrovert. You need to be out there. Whether you're quiet and shy or whether you're loud and extrovert, in your own way, within the parameters of your own personality, that which you've received needs to be given. So you live with intention because you're a witness. How beautiful are the feet of him that brings and announces good news. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the year of So you don't have a pulpit, but you are able to share, to give an account, a reason for the hope that is inside of you. Because you're the only Bible that somebody will read. You're the only pastor somebody else will listen to. It's your voice. It's you. Is that okay? So living with intention, living out the kingdom in this world is, is exceptionally important. And so that living is inside the church and then outside of the church. So it's our time, living intentionally, living purposely. It's our talents. What abilities has God given you that are to be employed inside of the church? But then you're also, he's given you a testimony. And all of these add up to all of those things here, especially those two. Living with intentionality, living for God. Living for God. Living exemplary. Living ethically. Living other. Living different. Amen? You know, it's sad to me. It's sad to me. In the past, I have gone. Believers in the church have lost their jobs. And I've gone to their bosses to fight for them to get their job back. And I hear them tell me, the believers tell me, how terrible their bosses and their workplaces are. Then I get there, then they tell me about, I stopped doing it. It's too embarrassing. Really, Pastor John, you did that? Yep. True and true. When they write a letter of reference, are they lying? Now it's got exceptionally quiet. <laughs> When you leave there, they should be going, oh, we don't want you to leave. Please stay. Do you know Mama Charlotte Cronk? One day she phoned me, staying at the hotel here at the airport. I think it's a holiday inn, I think it was, then. And I went there. She said, come have breakfast with me, my darling, my love, Allah, you know. You know, if you're shy, don't hang around her because you're going to get healed. <laughs> you know, you're going to get hugged. You're going to get kissed. You're gonna, she's going to hold your hand, walk around with you. And all this kind of thing. She draws a lot of attention. Yeah, Mama Charlotte. <laughs> and we go, and we're sitting there. Every single waiter and waitress is fighting to serve at her table. She's, come, come, my darling, kissing their hands, blessing them, operating in words and knowledge. What's happened with your brother? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Pastor John, have you got some, yeah, some money? Yeah, taxi fee, go and pay, you know, because the brother was not well. She's operating like that in love. All the time. When we finish breakfast, I'm sitting talking to her, and, and she's looking at me, and then suddenly she looks past me up the, right up the passageway. So I can see she's not looking at me. So I turn around and look, and there's two aerostasters walking up. And they just come walking, and they're going to come walk right past the chairs we are. And she just puts out her hand and takes the hand of the one that's just about to pass her and looks at her and just speaks a sentence. And yes, this person who doesn't even know her just bursts into tears. 
And she just ministers prophetically to her about her whole life. Living with intentionality. Do you know that I was with her when the manager of the hotel phoned and said, Lady, I don't know who you are and what you're doing, but I will pay for you to stay here another week. Because since you've been here, you've brought harmony to the different ethnic groups who are working in this hotel. Zulu and Koza. And I've seen, and it's not hotel policy, but because of the effect in the hotel, I've ignored the fact that they're queuing outside of your door morning to night. And I don't know what you're doing, lady, but please keep doing it. She would shop in a particular pick and pay. And the manager of the pick and pay came and blessed her with free groceries and said, Lady, just keep coming here because I don't know what it is, but this place has changed, sales have gone up, everybody's working together in harmony when you're here. Come on, church. I know I bashed you a little bit there, it wasn't intentional. Excuse the pun. But what difference are we making? What life are we living? Come on, we've ha- we have an AD life and we're living for God. How are we living? You've got just as much time as what I have. You've got 24 hours in the day, but it's to live purposely. It's to live intentionally. It's to live conscious of God. It's to live old-fashioned values, holy living. It's to live a life of love. We're going to baptize people this morning. It's, going to, it's so awesome. Now, that wasn't the secret message to get to the baptismal candidates. But it's important. What we're doing is important this morning. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believes and is baptized. Water baptism is important. It's obedience to God. It's all kinds of things. But it really literally is identifying with Jesus in his death and his burial and his resurrection. A transformation does take place.